welcome to another edition of RC Weekly, our, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. I'm here with Rav Johnny Solomon. Rav Johnny, uh, hello, how are hello, you? Hello, shalom, everybody. Hi, Rav Johnny teaches at Matan and Midrash and Lindebaum. He's the editor at Mosaic Press. He's the virtual rabbi, providing spiritual and halakhic guidance to men, women, and couples around the world. Excuse me, Molly Brodsky. Hi, Molly, how are you? Hello, I am good, how are you? Excuse me, Molly teaches Machsheva Israel and is an in-house social worker at MMY. She has a private practice in Gush Etzion and supervises and teaches at Hebrew University for the Wurzweiler School of Social Work. How are you doing, Molly? How are you feeling? I'm okay. Okay. No, I'm saying eh. I'm a little under the weather, but Baruch Hashem. Uh, and we appreciate your, your toughing it out to share your thoughts. I'm Ruben Spolter. I direct educational programming at Herzog College for Herzog Global. Help people prove their Jewish status in Yuguna Rebbe Sohar and teach Torah online to kids around the world at kita.org. Okay, we're going to do a different, normally in our, in our formats, we take one topic and we rip it apart. We're not going to do that today. We're going to do something a little bit different. What we're going to do is we're going to do a few quick hits about Yamim Narayim, Rosh Hashanah is coming up, Yom Kippur is coming up. So we're going to start with, uh, each one of us has something to say, maybe a couple of things to say. So Molly, we'll start with you. Oh, take it away. with me? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um... This is kind of, you know, we discussed the monarchy last week, and I have been thinking about it continually since. Um, and as we reach into Rosh Hashanah, in which the theme is kingship, malucha, um, I, I just wanted to share a few thoughts because I, I some, something that I overheard this week uh, led me to, to think in this direction. So when they were talking about the monarchy, they made a few interesting points. So the first point that they, that they said to understand First of all, the question was like, why, it, for, for many, many people, the um, this funeral was extremely moving um, and touching in ways that they didn't even expect. So she, so, so the, the woman who was analyzing this was trying to understand what is it that speaks to us so deeply. Um, so so that's, where I, that's, that's where I wanna start. Um, and the first point that she made hit me because of the conversation we had last week where we were discussing power, royalty and power. And she said, don't confuse, right? Because the argument was, well, you know, modern monarchies don't have power. She said, don't confuse power and prestige. So this monarchy, while it might not have had, had power, it had tremendous, a tremendous amount of prestige um, attached to it. And that prestige is reflected in, first of all, obviously, um, the amount of dignitaries that came from all over the world, the amount of people who came to watch, like, like, I think we know what we mean by prestige, but another word that she used, which I think also kind of deepens this idea of prestige, um, but is also an important word in of its own, is um, is the ceremony, the ceremonialism. She said that was also a big part of, of what moves and stirs people. Um, and she said like, this, you know, she said, the British do ceremony like nobody else. Um, and she's at uh, her point. The trumpeters was, at the funeral, they were cool. I yeah, like the that. Bagpipe. There were so oh many my things. Gosh, that, those uniforms were like, wow. Even yeah, I was see, like, even Ruby, right? Yeah, even um, so, but the point is, why does ceremony, what's the value of ceremony? Why does it move us in this way, right? Um, and as she said, well, okay. So she made two important points about that. She said, first of all, it links the past, the present, and the future in a way that nothing else can because it has this continuity over time, over generations, both the, the monarchy and all the ceremonies that are attached to the monarchy. So we have this sense of like something that's each, in, maybe not eternal, but certainly long lasting and that carries 
values and ideas and ideals and over time. And the other thing she said, she talked about beauty, right? She said the the ceremonies remind us that, right, um, things, it's not only important for things to be orderly or organized or functional, but also beautiful, right? And, and majesty, right? Um, if the ceremony is done properly, can be extremely beautiful and reminds us of the greatness of beauty. Okay, then she said one final point, and then obviously I want to move it into Rosh Hashanah and to um, the idea of, of kingship for us, um, godly kingship. She said one final point that she made was she said she thinks that the reason that Queen Elizabeth was so not only admired but genuinely loved was because she married the, va the values that she was supposed to be representing with the life that she lived, right? The values that, that she ostensibly stood for and that the monarchy ostensibly stands for, which, you know, um, we discussed a little bit last week, she actually lived them, she embodied them. And that's what made her so loved. Okay, so all of those thoughts kind of brought me to thinking about Rosh Hashanah and thinking about the idea that the central theme of Rosh Hashanah, it's, it's, you know, and I think people know this, but it's bears remembering, it's not tshuva. Tshuva is Yom Kippur, right? Rosh Hashanah, it, maybe there's a piece of tshuva because how do you, how do you stand in front of the king if you haven't done a certain amount of moral inventory? So there is that, 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 that may be there, but the, the, the theme of Rosh Hashanah is recognizing God as, as our sovereign, our king, master of the universe, the ultimate kingship. And I think that um, another point that people are making, which I think th this idea of the, of, um, of the past, right? So, so before I mentioned the, the importance of being connected to the past because it gives you the sense of like this eternity, but it's also because um, it's important to remember here, I wanna, now, now I am gonna read you this C.S. Lewis quote, which I was thinking of to re reading in another context, but I can read it then too. C.S. Lewis says, if one has to choose between reading the new books and reading the old, one must choose the old, not because they are necessarily better, but because they contain precisely those truths of which our own age is neglectful. And then he says, in fact, we must at all costs not move with the times. Okay, so maybe that last line, you know, he's, he's kind of making a polemical statement, and he actually is about religion because I skipped the middle line. But, uh, but I think that the point that he's making that's relevant to me here is, um, Dafka, if, if, look for the things in the past that were valuable and don't lose them. And I think that if people are having a difficult time connecting to the concept of majesty, right, then that's sad, that's a shame. And we, we sh it's important for us to understand what majesty is, because if we don't, I don't think we can fully appreciate um, the, the, the kind of like, a potential emotions that are available to us on Rosh Hashanah and the way in which we can internalize the ideas that were supposed that Chazal wanted us to internalize, that Judaism wants us to internalize, dare I say perhaps that I'm um, you know, suggesting that that Akadosh Baruch Hu wants us to internalize, at least according to the way um, the Nusach is is organized. And, and what are those ideas, right? So, so I, I kind of mentioned them all. But, but the idea, first of all, of the eternity of God, the idea of the glory of God, 
right? Meaning Hashemayim is supreme kvod kel, and and um, we we have the sense that that of, of the pageantry and the grandeur. That's a reflection of God because God is that. And I want to make this point, and I'll, I'll use beauty, but I think it, it's true of all the values or all the ideas that we connect to God's God's greatness and majesty and royalty. Um, but when I was talking to a friend about truth, about sorry, about beauty, why does beauty move us, right? Why is it that you you'll see uh, you'll you know you're on the top of a mountain and you'll see a, a view and you can be moved to tears, right? Or a sunset or or even a baby, right? Uh, like, why did the, why do these things move us so deeply and profoundly? And the answer, I believe, is because when we see those types of beauty, it's like we're it's like that we're we're like seeing a reflection of the eternal beauty that exists behind it, right? We the 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 the, the um, experiences we have in this world that are ideas or ideals, beauty, truth, goodness when we see them in in a perfected or near perfected or extremely powerful form i believe that our souls our psyches respond because we have an innate sense that there's something real and behind it that we're that that we're that that's what's moving us that's what's touching us ruby did you have a question yeah i have a question because like you you, you equated three things beauty a truth and goodness and while I agree that truth and goodness are things that are connect us to the eternal, beauty of those three, and those are things that are that are defined, truth and goodness, by our tradition, by our beliefs, by our value system. Beauty is something that's completely subjective, that changes over time. That okay. absolutely is based upon the images of beauty that that uh, that are presented to us. And so, like I, I understand what you mean about majesty. But today, most people were, would be much more moved by going to a Coldplay concert than they would by sitting in that funeral okay. in Westminster Abbey. Okay, so, so, let me, so first of all- You understand what I'm saying? Meaning I do, like, I do. So I'm not gonna go into- And that the idea of majesty today could turn people wait, off wait. Okay. as opposed but, to okay, like- Okay, fine. But I, I don't wanna get sidetracked from the point, but so you are correct that standards of beauty change over time. However, I think that there is, there are, there is also something, and this is actually an interesting, interesting conversation because I, I, I um, was listening to a mindfulness woman and, you know, in mindfulness, everything's about perspective and blah, 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 blah. And she lives in, in like um, Australia on the coast of Brisbane. Is that, is that, a, is that like a beach, Bondi mm -hmm. beach maybe? And she said like, so interesting because if everything's subjective, the fact that I think this is beautiful may be totally wrong. Maybe it's not beautiful at all. And it's just something I've been conditioned to think is beautiful. Mm. And that I think is, is a bridge too far. I think that- No, that's that, nature, to, but that's wait, not- Wait, 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 wait. So, it's not, it's not okay, majesty okay. of a king. Wait, 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 Ruby. Let me, let me finish this, this uh, idea, right? So John Keats said, beauty is truth and truth beauty and i think the end of that sentence is that's all you need to know right and i think what he meant by that is that um that type of beauty that that is found in nature i agree with you that it's found mostly in nature right that type of beauty kind of like um reflects god because of course God, of course, if God is good, right? I think what Keats is trying to say is if God is good, then the works of his hands must be beautiful, 
because goodness is beautiful and truth is beautiful and justice is beautiful and God cannot do things that are not beautiful because God is beautiful. He's also awesome and scary and mighty and terrifying, but, 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 he's, but it's also beautiful because all those things are connected. Now, you're also correct that there is a subjective element of beauty and standards of beauty, and perhaps you're even correct that somebody can see a certain. I agree with you. Sometimes I look at the, at the the pageantry, and there are pieces of it that I don't find particularly beautiful or even majestic. Right when when the, sometimes the uh, the the beef eater hats, right? I, I, it doesn't necessarily speak to me as royal or majestic, but the bigger picture is the is the majesty there. Right? It's the it's the larger ceremony that's the that's the majesty. But so let me just finish my point that maybe we can debate this a little bit. Um, I'm sure Johnny has well Johnny, you want to just add quickly because I, I have, I'm, I'm sure that whatever well, just, tell you, just one thing that you may not have seen in the news yesterday, when many of the roles went back to Balmoral yesterday in Scotland, there were five rainbows. So you had all this pageantry and yet then they're reflecting on this natural beauty. And, and it was actually quite wonderful that uh, the focus is neither on people in uniform, but instead in the grandeur of the universe. That's, that's beautiful. That's, yeah, that, that's, that's actually beautiful. Thank you. By the way, there were a bunch of rainbows. When the queen passed away, there were rainbows. There was a rainbow over Windsor Castle. There was a, a, a rainbow over Buckingham Now I'm getting Palace. deeply uncomfortable as if there's some kind of divine. It, it is. Look up the rainbows. It's kind of weird. Um, I'm okay. simply saying in contrast. It was <laughs> but but wait, wait, but Johnny's pointing out is that people were very moved by the rainbows. And I think Johnny's yeah, right. Like, because what they're saying, they're searching for that. There's something bigger here. Yeah, They're yeah, searching Molly, for that message. To me, when you see the majesty of beauty of nature, that's because you connect to its creator. The Rambam writes that. The of way course. to appreciate God is through nature. That's the okay, relationship I'm... between that and appreciating okay. God through a, a, a beautiful like a procession of naval whatever is carrying, bringing a carriage. Okay, I mean, fine. So, so we can disagree about that. I'm saying that the whole... Like, so let's go back again to that idea that, that the, the reason that all of that does speak to us. You're right. And we have less cynicism of that than if perhaps they would have a, you'd have a, first of all, you wouldn't have this for any other royalty besides England. But let's say somebody in Queen, in Spain had something, and I might have a little more cynicism and say, have a have a lim, et cetera. And I think that the reason that, that for the Queen it did connect was because the values that she lived and the pageantry that was dis on display and um, were, went hand in hand. And that it reminded people of the values that all that pageantry was supposed to stand for, not just the ones that she lived, but what Britain was supposed to stand for. And they became proud again of being part of this experience. And again, when I go back to Rosh Hashanah, I think if we've lost that sense of what majesty is and God's glory, I think we should reflect a little bit and try to recapture a little bit of it. A little bit of it because really i believe that that's at the heart of rosh hashanah right it's like when you say right and on simchas torah you're singing it and you're jumping up and down and you're you know making it into a joyful you know fun event where kids can you know jump up and down throw flags in the air or whatever on on rosh hashanah when you sing Again, I think that it should move you deeply and profoundly because you are you're you're um, going through the qualities of the king or Hashem Melech, right? Hashem Melech is my favorite piyut, not because it's a great tune, which it also is, but if you actually visualize the 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 um, heavenly hosts crowning God, 
it gives you a sense of God's greatness. And again, what it comes back to for me is the point, why are we rem remembering God's greatness? And as opposed to today's monarchs, God's power, and as opposed to any human king, right? God's goodness and eternity, right? All of that, right? God is it, God is the ideal. That's what God is, he is the ideal of everything. And therefore, first of all, we should be overcome with that sense and long to worship him, to be in his presence, to perfect ourselves so that we are worthy of being in his presence. And it should move us to do what, what again, I think is the heart of Rosh Hashanah. It should move us to try to um, help create a world in which the true king is the king. And the false kings, right, or the, the human kings re recognize that if there are, human kings or if there aren't human kings any the world right lives according to the values and the beliefs that that god that's what we're trying to do god please we're longing for a day when you are king of the world why because on that day a god will be worshiped in all of his greatness but b there will be justice and peace and joy and and all of the ethics and values that are the best of humanity and the best that exist will be actualized. So Johnny, I, thank you, Molly. I'd like, Johnny, would you like to respond briefly? Uh, I think that was elegant and eloquent. Um, I think that there may well be events that happen around us that don't fully speak to us. You know, I happen to be British, and though I watch parts of the ceremony, you know, some parts uh, are inspiring, some parts are, uh, you know, they're just. They don't quite uh, speak deeply to me, but to see the efforts made to show honor to somebody who I believe honored others is itself a powerful message. I don't think we're going to see a funeral like that in our lifetime again. And uh, I think there are lessons to be processed and learned, and I appreciate the way Mali did that. Okay, we're going to uh, pivot now, take it to another topic. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with our second topic right after this. Today, many Jewish families don't send their children to private Jewish day school. Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply cannot afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita can help. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school aged children receive up to four online lessons each week and also participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. For the coming school year, Kita offers two plans. In the Chumash and Navi plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Chumash Shmot and Navi Shmuel Aleph, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. In the Mishnah and Gemara plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. Registration is now open for the fall of 2022, which begins on August 29th. Is your family new to Kita? You can register for a two-week trial at no cost. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. And we're back. So the second topic, I get on my soapbox. Molly had her uh, Melucha mm -hmm. monarchy soapbox. 
I'm going to switch topics and turn to the topic of Prusbol. Now, uh, I, I should say from the outset, obviously, I believe in Prusbol. It's in the Mishnah. It's a hill of, you know, hill of the Tikkun Prusbol. And it's a wonderful thing. It was instituted. I don't know if it's a wonderful thing. I think uh, Molly, you sent me a piece by Rav Salavate, Rav uh, Lichtenstein, who wrote about how Hillel himself wasn't happy to be Metake in Prisbol. So let's establish, first of all, if you're not aware, what is a Prisbol? Essentially, we're at the end of the Shemitah year, and the Torah says explicitly that any loans that you have given to other people, Shemitah is Mishametet. Shemitah essentially cancels the loan. The, the debtor no longer has to pay back the loan. Now, just so you know, the Mishnah says the debtor can pay back the loan. And it's laudable. Chachamim felt it was worthwhile if the debtor came back and said, no, I want to pay back the loan. And it doesn't cancel it legally. The, the loan is still there, but it's not required to be paid back. That's the halacha of Shemitat Ksafim. And the Torah says, by the way, explicitly, I mean, in, in the Torah, it says, by the way, don't you dare not give people loans who are poor because, because Shemitah is coming. You have an obligation as a wealthy person to help the poor. Okay, very good. Unfortunately, even though it's written explicitly black and white in the Torah, people didn't. Hillel noticed that as the Shemitah year approached, people stopped lending other people money. And this was obviously the way that poorer people survived. You know, they lived from loan to loan and they were not able to survive. So what Hillel was forced to do was to create a mechanism, a legal mechanism, we call it legal fiction, but it's legal 100%, by, in which one is able to transfer uh, transfer his loans to the authority of Beitin. And through that transfer of authority, Beitin would hold on to the loan and then the person could collect it after Shemitah. And essentially, Yolo created uh, a, a mechanism by which the idea of Shemitah Kasafim would not be affected Bizman Azeh. We should note that it's all the Rabbana. I don't want to get into the whole theological issue. That's all fine and good. But that doesn't mean it's a mitzvah to sign a prisbo. If you, if you were to go to Hillel himself and he, you would ask him, listen, I got these outstanding loans. Should I sign a prisbol or not? He would say, absolutely not. You, you loan people money. The Torah wants you to allow them to lapse. The Torah wants you to be supportive of other people and understand that your money comes from God. But he understood that that was what's called a bidiyevit. Fast forward 2,000 years. Today, uh, I, I mean, the vast majority of people I know don't loan people money privately. People who do want to help poor people, they'll give money to like our Yishuv as a loan fund, or they'll give tzedakah outright. Very rare are the people, and those people are gvirim, and people come to them for money, and that's fine, I appreciate that, but most people don't lend money privately. And uh, uh, that being said, it, it's still a mitzvah of Shemitah, and unless, I think if you lend part person 10 bucks or 100 bucks or even up to us, like some amount of money, it's not the end of the world for most of us to say, oh, there's a mitzvah of Shemitah Safim. It's a mitzvah, you know, Hashkadosh Baruch Hu wants you to say, okay, let it go, you know, have, have a little faith. But instead, we have this fascinating phenomenon of like, just like of automatic prusbol. Like every organization is sending out a prusbol for, for you to sign. You can sign it on the internet. You go to shul. Like I saw a yeshiva had prusbol signing day. And, you know, and it's not like there's a bait in. It's like any three guys in shul sign the, they're the bait in who you transfer your money to. So in essence, you're taking this legal fiction and you're fictionalizing it. Okay, you can say that's fine. Okay, so first of all, I'm not entirely convinced that this was a practice. I'd be really fascinated to know when it became a mass practice, when everybody started signing a principal. Really fascinating to know. Uh, I happen to think that, wow, it's a cool thing once every seven years, so let's do it. You know, that seems like a nice thing to do, even though it's halakhically meaningless. But to me, 
there's another cost. And the cost is something that I think is a trend in the religious world today that I think turns many people off to, to, to organize religion to, or religious Judaism to orthodoxy, which is, I feel we have, a, we have a tendency to take any mitzvah and to ritualize it. And to sometimes through that ritualization to rob it of all meaning. Meaning like, okay, what is principle really all about? Essentially, it's about, did you help a poor person? Did you loan them money, right? And like, if you loan them money and you wanna be able to continue to loan them money, we can't let that money go away. But instead, what we do is like these mass Prusbol signing without any connection at all to, did you loan somebody money? Did you help the poor? So like, I personally feel that this phenomenon is detrimental. It, it turns people off, it turns me off. Like here you have this beautiful thing, that none of us practice because we don't really loan money anymore. And instead, the only remnant of that is when I go to shul on Erev Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to sign a meaningless document that I'm never going to enforce and I'm never going to use. It's a legal document that has no meaning whatsoever. So like, what, like to me, that's a, that's a negative phenomenon in our religion. And for that reason, I did two things this year. If I, if, if I lent money to you, you're in good luck because I'm not signing a principal. And there's no mitzvah to sign a principal. There's no, I, I, don't, I don't feel any obligation whatsoever. That's fine. I'm not signing one. So if I lent you money, uh, you can remind me, but I forgot. That's number one. Number two, I also gave a significant donation. There's a, in Israel, there are all these organizations now where you can, quote unquote, lend money to a per person on Erev, on Erev Rosh Hashanah beforehand. So I think I did it to Pa'amonim. And they lend the money to a person. And then when Shemitah cancels the loan on my behalf, then it turns into a donation. So at least I feel like the Shemitah prompted me to quote unquote lend money to somebody who's in need. And if you signed a principal, I feel you also, if you're listening to this, if there's a loan fund in your community, you should make a significant donation to that loan fund. You should loan poor people money because even though you're technically got out of getting the money back, we should also remind, use Shemitah and use Prusbal as a motivation to, uh, to, to prompt ourselves to help those people that are more in need than we are. That's my end of soapbox. I'll get down to my soapbox. Uh, people can yell at me if they want. Molly. No, I don't want to yell. I want to tell you that I, I really appreciate that. I think it's a very powerful and very true. I remember um, hearing a similar story about Chalitza. Right. Unfortunately, there are still cases today where people need chalitza. And um, somebody I know who's, uh, because of Yowatzad Halakha, is involved in these situations. So she was present at a chalitza and they brought, you would, I don't want to get, make, do any identifying markers, but let's say they brought a bunch of young students to watch the chalitza because it's such a rare experience. Um, and the woman said, I want you guys to understand, you're here to watch like a halachic transaction and you all think it's really cool. You're here to watch me become, um, you know, unrequired to marry somebody because my husband died and we didn't have children, right? Like, please put it into context. And I think that that's so powerful and so important. And that's why I, I really appreciate what you're saying, because I think that we, we, it's really important. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I don't think the answer is, oh, halacha is so ritualistic and meaningless. The answer is, can we find the beauty and the meaning behind the halachic system and not forget 
to explain to people what it is. So, and know, it, that's my point. Halakha yes. is not only ritualistic. Halakha is deeply concerned about the human condition. Correct. Except Correct. we, in our, for whatever reason, I, I, it's really something interesting to think about. Yes, I agree. In our ritual lives, we tend to ritualize we even rit things that are- We ritualize you know, things out of all of their saying, meaning. Molly, it's very fascinating. I was listening to the radio this week, and there was a very tragic case in a Suta hospital of a couple who did IVF yeah. and, the, and mm -hmm. it was misidentified. So they had review and there are real interesting halachic, fascinating halachic issues that come up about who is the real parents and who gets, you know, here you have a case where you have parents who are the genetic parents, you have other parents who are who are uh, the birth parents and they don't agree, they don't agree who should have, have custody of the child. Really complicated. So it was Reshet Bet, you know, Kama Lieberman in the morning and they invited her, Rav Yuval Sherlow, to uh, come on and discuss the issue. And Rav Sherlow, oh, we only have so many more rabbis like that. He got it and he said, listen, before we discuss anything, we have to remember there are, these are real people and our hearts have to go out to these people and the tragedy that they're enduring. So before we do anything, we have to think about them and their suffering. And I wish like, like you know, some, because maybe because of our yeshiva training, everything is so mm -hmm. abstract. Everything is so, oh, we can sign a prismal or watch a chalitza. We have to reconnect to the human aspect of it. And for me, prismal, I guess was, was a step too far. That was just my yeah, thing. Agree. Johnny, you and, wanted to say something. Yeah, I'm sorry, I said one more thing. Sorry. Just um, I just this week read read a quote with my students from Rami Tal, where he talks about Torah influencing our spiritual personality. And his advice is every once in a while while you're learning, because you said it's like I agree with you. A lot of it is because because the, the yeshiva, you know, the way we learn. He said, stop every every once in a while and think about how this little piece um is attached to a system that has greater meaning. And what meaning is he's like the same way a um a, a um, scientist can can view the grandeur of the universe from a single atom, we should learn halacha and try to understand how each piece of halacha is part of a larger system that is trying to build something um, that has ethical force behind it. And so I, I just think I really agree with you. So thank you. Yeah, it's it's complicated. It's very complicated. Johnny, yeah. you want well, to say something? Well, firstly, I, I, obviously I, I agree with the sentiments. Secondly, we do need to acknowledge that the Israeli banking system does rely on uh, things like Rusbol for them to function. We are borrowers. I have a mortgage. Um, now, now you're the borrower. You're not the lender, right? If the bank doesn't sign a Rusbol, you're in good shape. You're not. You're the. You're the borrower. But the here. bank will never lend Johnny any money if they know that they won't get their money back. Uh, again, so I don't. Also, mind for Johnny's mind, good. I, I said yeah. again. Oh, that's my point. I'm not against mm -hmm. the Rusbol. I'm against the mass signing of Rusbol with no meaning. If Johnny lends somebody I, 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 a lot of money, he should sign a principal. Right. You know what I'm saying? First, if you need the money. Video. So first and foremost, Israeli banking systems rely on uh, frameworks such as Iska, uh, principal, in order for them to function. Absent of that, we, we wouldn't be able to have those systems. Some people can criticize them. But if we understand the Torah's laws in terms of financial affairs, we recognize the necessity of those arrangements. Notwithstanding that, uh, you're discussing the prevalence with which one can, you know, find prisbals here, there, and everywhere. But, you know, just today, uh, you mentioned the projects and we have here in our Yishuv, we've created a gemach, that people are lending money, which is going to get cancelled, becomes a gemach, which is, again, there's no chiv to do that. It's nice to do that. It's an opportunity to raise a little bit more money to help people who could do with money, especially during this time of year. But I, you know, I got in, in Makorishon today, here is on one side of a document, a shtab for those who want. And on the other side, 
a discussion about how people can make a loan uh, in order to do a donation. So it, it's literally two sides of one coin. One doesn't have to sign a principle. It's there uh, for the taking. But one And one also doesn't have to give a, a donation or give a, a loan, which then becomes a donation. But in the spirit of one existing, there's developed uh, a spirit of the other becoming prevalent. And, and I think that's valuable doing so. Notwithstanding that, if somebody just looked at a principle and paid no heed of the context with which it emerged, correct, it could seem quite mechanical. But that's why we need to learn. And that's why we need to know. You, you teach Mishnah. Right? So why we, te- we need to pay attention to our cortex because our cortex tell us what principle is. It's not the end in itself. It's a means. It's a means for us, for society to function, for us to be benevolent, for us to be considerate. And if one severs the ties between those values and those practices, then we gr- do great damage to our people and our society. We do that all too often. This is just another example. Uh, and, and we mentioned at the beginning of the year, if you recall, the whole issue of Shemitah. And we've all gone through a year of Shemitah. And how many farmers do we know have been sitting down learning all year? Maybe less than perhaps we think the Torah would have thought would happen. And people come up with different arrangements. And each of us have perhaps uh, adopted different practices in Shemitah. But does that mean I should throw Shemitah, you know, uh, under, you know, under the wheels? In, uh, no, it means that we're adapting and, and practicing these laws in a way that can align with the needs of the modern world. And sometimes, especially including the solutions of Shmita, and I'd even say the solutions of Prisbal, they're imperfect. And putting up our hands and saying, we said this in, in a meeting, in a recording earlier this year, all the solutions that we have have imperfections. The question really is, which maintained the spirit of the law? There's a d- debate about Shmita. And which, in this case, maintain the spirit of this practice of Shemitah Meshemetet. And, and I think the, two, the answer is this double-sided document, which I just pulled from the newspaper, which is, have Brusbul if you need Brusbul. But whatever the case, you know, think about others and give to others. If we so, have by both, the way, I think okay. I, I, that, that phenomenon, these organizations are wonderful, but I think they're a response to this knee-jerk reaction to to people signing Prisbol. So they're saying, no, before you have an Egypt reaction, think about why it is you're signing this and use it as an opportunity to give money. Just as an aside, if you gave money to one of these organizations, you have to sign one of their Prisbols because otherwise your loan will be canceled by the other, if you sign a regular one. That's just, that's just a, that's a halachic aside. But I, I understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm thinking about it in a larger term. I think like, I mean, I think about, I have, I have more liberal colleagues and, and I see sometimes that they engage in, in, in acts of kindness towards a larger world. They're, they're more concerned than I am. And I wonder, like, on this, on this, on this, uh, in this framework of spirituality, why we very often tend towards the ritual as opposed to or in favor of or instead of the interpersonal, the ben adam lemakom as opposed to the ben adam lechavero. And I just felt that this was an example of one that I found problematic. Okay, we're gonna take a one more quick break and then we'll turn to Johnny. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, 
and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with a magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Johnny, what have you got for us? So I haven't got so much of a soapbox, but I am in kind of a reflective mood as we come towards the end of this year. Um, it's been a difficult year. As many people know, my wife has uh, gone through treatment. Thank God she's doing well, but it's been a hard year. A dear friend of mine, unfortunately, also lost to cancer. Uh, it's been tough. Uh, and I know a number of people have had a tough year. And I've been trying to kind of crystallize. Um, what are my thoughts on the subject? And uh, actually, I was struggling to do so in the past couple of days. And I turned to the machza and my comments on the machza that I wrote some years ago. I used to go to Mahomayan for Rosh Hashanah. And we had an explanatory kind of tefillah service. And over the years, I wrote down the ideas I shared. And, uh, and so I have almost a, pound, a, a booklet of insights on Rosh Hashanah machza. So I turned to what I'd written about then. And, and I was, I suppose I was inspired by what I wrote then. But it spoke to me in a very different way. Uh, and it's based on the words that we say in the Shafot section of Musaf Shana, where it says, right? God, you reveal yourself uh, in, in a cloud before us. And I wrote, and this is, you know, five, six years ago, the following. I said, this prayer begins by reflecting on how Hashem reveals himself in a cloud. Oftentimes we think Hashem is only visible in the good and clear times. But in actual fact, we often find ourselves connecting with God in the challenging moments in, in our clouds. Significantly, while some people replace their salt with honey and Rosh Hashanah, I follow the custom, I've been doing this for years, as discussed by numerous post-scheme, of dipping my challah into both. I have to dip it into salt and into honey. And while doing so, I think about the fact that no year can be uh, as sweet as honey, absolutely. Nor should it be as bitter as salt. However, just as I taste the sweet among the salt, I shall find God even the clouds that I see in my life. And I wrote this, as I say, some years ago. And when reflecting on this past year uh, and then opening up this booklet again, I said, yeah, that's that's probably a good way of reflecting on this past year. And uh, that then reminded me of a beautiful saying of Rav Cook. Actually, it's a saying that uh, we we chose to celebrate our eldest daughter's bat mitzvah because her name is Meira. And Rav Cook says, when the soul is illuminating, even a cloudy sky can give you bright light. I realize, well, I think it's been a cloudy sky for the past year. And yet the remarkable thing is, even in the difficult times, you see strength and inspiration, resilience. I've seen from my wife, I've seen from many, many other people. And there is something quite remarkable about the light that we can sometimes see, notwithstanding the cloud that's very present. Um, and then that led me to think of one further thing, which is actually uh, many of the people I try and help. You know, I do this work called the Virtual Rabbi, uh, and I and I get, provide online spiritual coaching and halachic consultations. 
And sometimes the people I meet are going through tough times. They're going through their own cloud. And I am profoundly lifted by their light, notwithstanding the cloud that they're in. Meaning I try and give some insights. But in actual fact, they themselves lift me through their spirit. Um, and so I suppose my theme, my message, my focus right now in the last couple of days of, uh, of this Jewish year is how we see God in many different places, in many different ways. We see God in the rainbows, Mali was speaking about. We also see God in the clouds. And even when people uh, are embedded in those clouds, sometimes their souls, uh, oftentimes their souls burn brightly and shine brightly. Uh, and that can be a source of great inspiration. That's, I suppose, my thought, my thought for the time. Wow. Thank you so, so much. Beautiful thought. Very moving, personally, too. All right, we'll stop here. I want to thank Rob Johnny Solomon. I want to thank Rabbi Malibrovsky. On behalf of all of us, I want to wish all of our listeners, all of Am Yisrael, a sweet, happy, healthy, meaningful new year. And we'll see you all in the coming year. Shana Tova to all of you. Have a great week, everybody.